But you know, biblical Christianity really is a saga of transformation. And what I want to do for just a few moments is three things. I want to look at two people who were transformed in the New Testament. I want to look at two passages that talk about transformation, and then we're going to give some time for you to make it personal in your life. So it's a pretty simple plan, two people, uh, two core passages we want to look at, and then we're going to give you some time to make the transformation that you've experienced personal as you remember that transformation in your life. Are you grateful that God transforms people? Absolutely. And the first person I want to look at who experienced some transformation was the person of Mary Magdalene. And you can turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and the 8th chapter. She is the first of two people who were transformed that I want us to look at this morning. In chapter 8, I want you to notice verses 1 and 2. It says that Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and teaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, but not just the twelve. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Mary Magdalene experienced transformation at the hand of the person of Jesus Christ. And as you track her through the gospel accounts, you find out that she never forgot the wonder. She never forgot the wonder of what the Savior had done for her. And that's part of what I want you to feel afresh today, to never forget the wonder of what the Savior has done for you. See, Jesus delivered her from spiritual bondage. He delivered her from being severely afflicted. He delivered her and transformed her disheveled life. And if you'll turn just a little bit to the left in your Bibles, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, I simply want to track Mary Magdalene for a few verses. She is someone who would never forget the wonder of what the Savior had done for her. In Matthew chapter 27, I want you to notice verse 35. Talking about the crucifixion of Christ, it says, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. Just to remind you of the events that were happening. Verse 39 and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and they were saying, you, who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Then notice verse 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple, verse 51, was torn in two from the bottom, or rather the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And notice verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake 
And the things that were happening became very frightened, and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. But in particular, I want you to note the next verse. Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. And among them was Mary Magdalene. She could never forget the wonder of what the Savior had done for her. And even as he is being executed, she is there. And then if you remember what happens beginning in chapter 28 and verse 1, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women who came that early morning, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, Come see the place where he was lying. And then, verse 7, the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, and behold, I have told you. And so they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. She never forgot the wonder of what the Savior had done for her. It's interesting. This woman who had been transformed by the person of Jesus Christ is the first herald of the era of grace. The first one who went to tell about the fact that Jesus had been raised from the dead. In fact, if you study it through further, you'll find out that she was the first person who Jesus appeared to after he was resurrected from the dead. See, Mary Magdalene would say, as she reflects back on her life experience, she would say, Jesus Christ is a God who transforms. Now, there's a second person I want us to look at from the pages of the New Testament, and that would be the Apostle Paul. So if you would turn with me to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, in chapter 3, just want to remind us, this is not necessarily new, but Paul was another one who would say, Jesus Christ is a God who transforms. And in Philippians 3, <clears throat> verses 4 and 5, he talks a little bit about his high-level religious pedigree that he had. He says in verse 4 of chapter 3, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, a Pharisee. In fact, we learn from Acts 22, verse 3, that Paul had been trained in the highest levels of religious society by Gamaliel, 
considered to be the greatest rabbi of all time. And Paul was his top student among them all. Turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 7, just reminding you a little bit about Paul. Tremendous religious pedigree in his life. And his religious fervor, his commitment, led him to do a number of things. When this upstart group arose, it was following after this person called Jesus of Nazareth, and he was involved in resisting it. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, when the authorities had driven Stephen out of the city, they began to stone Stephen, one of the early witnesses of Jesus. And the witnesses laid aside their robes while all this was happening at the feet of a young man named Saul or Paul. In other words, he was really the one instituting the entire attack on Stephen. Very religious, but very zealous. In verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day it launched a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul, this is Paul, began to ravage the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them into prison. And then turn with me to chapter number 26. Of Acts, just reminding you of the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 26 and in verse 9, he says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth out of religious hostility. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem, verse 10. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests to pull this off, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. You go on and read in these verses in this chapter, of course, he tells what happened. He's on the road to Damascus, and this bright light comes, and he's blinded and driven to his knees, and Jesus appears to him and confronts him. And suddenly, Saul, the apostle Paul, realizes who Jesus Christ really is. And as he was to write later in 1 Timothy 1.14, he would say, The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Mary Magdalene would say, Jesus Christ is a God who transforms. Saul, later who became Paul, would say that Jesus Christ is a God who transforms. Just two stories. I don't know how many people we have here today, but we all have stories. 
And as we said, we wanted to look at two persons, and then we want to look at two core passages that talk about transformation. So let's look at those two passages. And then we're going to talk about how we can make this personal in a few moments. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. One of the great passages in the New Testament about transformation. Chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says to them, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those who are involved in sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, people are always wanting more, 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 nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then you have the magical verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, set apart in relationship to God, but you were justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You see, those people at Corinth would say of Jesus Christ, He is a God who transforms. And then another passage I want us to look at as a core passage about transformation is found in the book of Titus, which is behind 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Timothy. So look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Again, Paul is is writing, and it's interesting how he includes himself in all of this because he'd been transformed. He says, For we also once, verse 3, were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. I just want to stop there for a moment. You notice what he said? He says, Once we were foolish. We were ignorant. Once we were disobedient, we violated God's standards. Once we were deceived, we'd been deceived, we were victims of the lies of the enemy. Once we were enslaved to our passions and our pleasures. That was once true of us, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But Verse 4, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Once we were foolish, once we were disobedient, once we were deceived, once we were enslaved, but God our Savior 
intervened and transformed our lives. And so as we get ready this morning to come around the Lord's table together, we want to never forget the wonder of what the Savior has done in our life. We want to remember He is the God who transforms. And I want you to be thinking about that in your own individual life. How did He transform you? How did He transform you when you first came to trust in Him? How has He continued to transform and change you since you've known and walked with Him? Now, I am going to uh, ask my wife to come on up for a moment. And what we're going to do is uh, give you a very short summary uh, of how Jesus Christ has transformed us. And so, I'm going to welcome her up here, and, and I'm going to share a little bit of my story uh, with you, and then she's going to share just a little bit of, of her story. You know, I can still feel the emotion of uh, being a, a very young man. And in the era of the country at the time, there was a lot of talk about atomic weapons. There was a lot of discussion of that, uh, the potential danger of that, um, the damage it could wreak if there was a nuclear exchange, and uh, in fact, even in school, it was talked about and discussed, and I can remember the disconcerting feeling that came over me, unsure really of what would happen if such a thing were to occur. And not only that, but I had uh, been around church enough heard the Bible read enough uh, to know that there was in the Bible a hell and there was a heaven. And I can still remember sitting there wondering, what's ahead for me? What's going to happen in my life? Is there going to be some bomb set off and I'm going to be swept off the planet. What if I were to die? What would happen to Bruce? And then some people shared with me about the cross of Jesus Christ and what he had done. And I made a life choice to trust in him, to come to know him. And there was, a, there was a transformation that happened in my life. Um, that incredible uncertainty, that, that fearfulness, that dread of what could happen virtually went away. And God transformed me and gave me a confidence that no matter what may happen in this life, 
my future was secure because of the person of Jesus Christ. He's a God who transformed me. Okay, I was raised in a very church-going family. We were very, very involved, all of us. My mom was a deaconess, my dad was a deacon. Uh, I was in choir and youth group and always went to Sunday school. In fact, my dad was one year my Sunday school teacher and taught me a song so I'd know all the books of the New Testament. We were greatly, greatly involved. So I definitely believed that I was a Christian, you know, and... Uh, then as sophomore year, I was on a date with Bruce. <laughs> and at the, end, near the, at the end of our date, he said, why do you think God should let you in heaven? And so I proceeded to tell him how I was a good person <laughs> and tell him uh, all the different things that I had done and how I'd always believed in God and how I always went to church. And all Bruce could say is he just kept saying that's not good enough. And by the end of me listing my long list of all the good things and how what a good person I was, I was getting a little bit frustrated because I wasn't good enough. And so finally I just said, well, what do you have to do to, get, to be able to get in? And that's when he shared uh, Jesus Christ and that I needed to confess my sins and believe that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for those sins. And fortunately, God had my heart ready that night, and I accepted Jesus Christ. And he totally changed my life around. No longer did I have to rely on being a good person and doing everything right. But at that point, I could rely on the fact that Jesus Christ died for me and took the penalty of my sin and just rely on the fact that God was going to work in my life. He is a God who transforms. And... Um, we looked at just a couple of very quick illustrations of that from the pages of the New Testament and we've just shared with you very very briefly uh, some of the transformation that we have experienced but I do want you to be thinking about the transformation that he has done in your life and just as a way to stir up your thinking a little bit we want to run here in just a second video clip from a service we had this summer where we had a, a number of individuals sharing how Jesus Christ had been more than enough in their life. And most of them are just stories of how he transformed them or transformed their family. And I want you to just watch this video clip. It just goes for a couple of minutes. And primarily what I want you to be doing as you're watching that is I just want you to be refreshing your mind about your own life, about how he's transformed you. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to, to uh, express that. So let's just watch this video clip together. Going to the Lord's table together. And guys, if we could get those passed out as fast as we could, that would be great. What I want you to do is I want you to, on one side, put what your situation was. And it may be something that happened to you at the point of salvation. It may be something that happened to you later. And then on the flip side... We want you to write on how God had worked in your life and how Jesus Christ had transformed your heart. And you've seen a lot of different examples of that, which is part of why we ran all of that for you. But I'm going to give you a few moments just to ponder that, just a, a minute or two to think about that. And then we want you to fill that out. Now, what are we going to do with these? 
Well, you don't have to do anything with it if you want to just keep it to yourself. We would encourage you as you leave today, though, to leave these on the table in the hall or on the chair right there in the corner. And uh, we'd like to make a little collage of these. You don't have to have your name on it that we could put up in the gathering hall next week as we just remember how he has transformed us. So take just a moment, if you would please, just a few moments of quiet about how he, how Jesus Christ has transformed you. And we're going to do this in honor of him. So just fill that out and then we'll just get ready to take the Lord's table together. So take a few moments to work on that. Time to work on that, so don't feel uncomfortable. But we really wanted to do that just in a very tangible way for us today to be thanking Jesus Christ for the transformation that's come in our life. And uh, we are going to partake of communion together. Uh, at Wildwood, we, we practice what's called open communion. That simply means you do not have to be a member here. Um, if you know Christ personally as your deliverer from sin and judgment, you are more than welcome to participate. If you don't know him, we might just ask you to observe all that goes on as we partake of communion together. What we're going to do today is we do this differently when we have communion. We're going to have both elements of communion passed to you at the same time. You will receive the cup and you will receive the bread. And uh, we want to invite you, when you just are worshiping with the Lord in the next few moments together, when you feel like you are ready to partake of the communion, to celebrate Jesus Christ, the God who transforms us, and you can partake of the elements when, when you feel that you are prepared to do that. I just simply want to um, encourage you It was so much fun, you know, to think about how God had worked in our life. And it's amazing sometimes we can let that just sort of drift from our view. That's what we're trying to bring it back today, for you to think about how he's been working. Maybe when you first came to know him. Maybe just in the last year how he's been at work. So we want you to worship him. We want you to worship him not only for the transforming work that he's done, but just for who he is. And the fact that he went on the cross because he loved you and he bled and he died there and gave himself up for you. So I'm going to lead us in, in just a prayer of thanks and then you'll be receiving the elements and to just make this a great little time of, of worship. This is the Lord's table and he is here in a very special way present with us today as we celebrate the table together. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the awesome truth of who Christ is and for the awesome thing that he has done. And we want to be able to say to everyone in heaven who's observing, Jesus Christ is a God who transforms. And we thank you for the bread that Jesus said is his body which is broken for us. And we thank you for the cup that Jesus said is the blood of the new covenant. We thank you for the day that we have today to pause from all the hustle and bustle of life 
to commune around the table with the person of Christ in a very personal way. And so we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. But most of all, we thank you for a living Savior who is here. Thank you for the privilege we have now to worship him in this way. Amen.